Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexual Confidence on Tap with Shannon Etheridge and Friends. So on last week's episode, we had a great conversation with Rob Kowalski about balancing this purity movement conversation. Today, I've invited him back on the show to talk to us about dating while waiting or waiting while dating. I guess you could look at it from either angle, right, Rob? Absolutely, yep. <laughs> so, Rob, just as a quick highlight, again, tell us a little bit about you and City Fam and some of the books that you've written. This this message that's been entrusted to you and how your hair is on fire with it. It really is. Uh, I like to refer to myself as a reformed bad boy. I was probably the worst person that you could imagine for most of my adult life. I was a stripper and a club promoter. I met Jesus, did this radical 180, and really just was disillusioned by the whole Christian lifestyle. So... Um, you know, I started a, a nonprofit called City Fam based out of Baltimore, Maryland. We got chapters popping up in cities across the United States. And it's really just, uh, we call it, our tagline is friends with better benefits. You know, it's all about. <laughs> <I love> <laughs> it really is better because commu- as good as sex is, community is better because sex is temporary and it breaks relationships. Um, community is, is lasting as, as, and um, so it's really about becoming the best version of yourself and really enjoying the process as much as possible. Because for me, when I dropped, you know, got out of the club scene and I started making better decisions, life got very boring. And I, then I backslid. I started having fun again, but left felt unfulfilled, rededicated, was bored again. And I was like, why? It shouldn't have to be that doing the right thing and having fun are mutually exclusive. It should not be that way. So what we try to do is like, hey, let's become the best version of ourselves, but let's go out and have a good time. Let's push the envelope. I just threw the biggest Halloween party in Baltimore a couple mm-hmm. nights ago, a silent Halloween party. We're singing and dancing under stars. You know, so we're like this thing in the middle. We're not, we're not, we're not the sober group. We're not the clubs. We're not the church. We're, we're just this thing in the middle. And, um, you know, for me, it, it really has helped me walk that narrow path and really date, you know, wait, honestly, because Mm -hmm. it can be a, it can be a God awful experience if you don't have community. So I wrote a book called why waiting works, um, you know, became a bestseller on Amazon, made a a video called 10 reasons not to have sex before marriage. I think it was the number one video on YouTube. It might still be actually in some categories. Um, But I just really believe that I, I can probably explain the practicality of saving sex for marriage better than pro- probably anybody on earth. I, because I, I've lived at such polar extremes that I can just break it down. Like, Hey, here's how it's going to play out. Probably if you do it. And if you don't do it, this is probably how it's going to play out. So yeah. Thanks for having me on again. <laughs> you bet. You bet. And just to kind of echo some of your credibility, if this is not just Rob became a radical believer last year after 45 years of debauchery type of a thing. No, you had your radical transformation originally at what age? 27. So it was yeah, back in March of 2000, a little over 20 years ago. Okay. So really the majority of your life has been lived with this higher standard for yourself. I love how you describe City Fam as we're not the abstinence group, but yet sexual integrity is one of your main goals, but it's not the salvation doctrine. You are not made acceptable to God through your sexual purity. It's just simply you guys have a higher purpose than just getting the next piece of tail, as you described that I hate to be crass, but that was, that was the expression that you used last time that caught my attention. So I love what you're doing. I have to ask this question really fast before we dive into this conversation. If this kind of group sounds appealing to listeners and they're like, why isn't there a city fam in Phoenix, Arizona? Why isn't there a city fam in Minneapolis, Minnesota? How would they go about 
mirroring what you do? How can they be an extension yeah. of this ministry that you've created? Would you call it a ministry or an organization? Yeah, I, I refer to it as a ministry. I don't say it publicly because I don't want people that aren't there yet to be turned off because they, they would be like, oh, wait, is this faith-based? And it's not. But yeah, you could just send an email to contactedcityfam.com. I really am passionate about finding people that are like me when, when I was, you know, trying to make these positive changes. I literally was sitting home every weekend by myself, bored out of my freaking mind. And, um, you know, and there were times, honestly, that I was going to the clubs and I did not want to be there. But I, I, I was like, well, what's the alternative? You didn't have anywhere else to go and the loneliness drove you to keep your butt right there on the bar stool, right? Exactly. So I think, I think the world is full of people like that, that are either home alone or they're in the bars making bad decisions and they just don't know what else to do. And I want to find those people. I want to bring them together and show them this better way. So they can, yeah, reach out. They can go to cityfam.com. Uh, there's a join the fam button there. They can just give us our email for free or they can just email contact at cityfam.com. And we have a process that we could help them connect with other like-minded people in their area and get, get something started. So it sounds kind of like a meetup group for people who just want to live their life with purpose. That's a great explanation. The difference between us and a meetup group is we're not based off of any specific activity or really faith affiliation. So it's just more about principles, you know, which I love the Christian principles. I, you know, when I went to church, that was one of my favorite things. I didn't like the lifestyle and the way it was packaged. I liked that they were there for each other because the, what I was used to was a bunch of people that, you know, didn't have my back. They would hit on your girlfriend when you went to the bathroom or if you needed help moving, they didn't show up at your house. That's for damn sure. Cause everything was based off of just pleasure. It was just right. fun. Church people were, were more like a, what can I do for you attitude, but they were just boring. So mm -hmm. I was like, well, why does it have to be boring? Let's just make, let's take that attitude and make it fun. You know? So that's kind of what we try to do. And my understanding is that you guys take on some service projects and you focus on community needs and you're all about the greater good. Do Absolutely. I understand that correctly? Every month we do a social, do two social events and one service event every month. Because I, I just believe that when you give back, it just accelerates the, the change in you. That's what it did for me. I was doing it through a church and it just made me, I just liked the way it made me feel. I never even thought of myself as a good person, to be honest, before. And I started volunteering. I was like, you know, some took a picture, somebody posted on social media and they're like, oh my God, I saw you were at Ronald McDonald house feeding some kids. That's so nice. And it, it feels good. Right. And then you're like, wow, I like this. So now all of a sudden I'm part of the solution instead of part of a problem. And I liked it. And now it's like other people need to feel this. Cause a lot of times, how do you volunteer unless you're part of like a faith community or something? It's not the easiest thing to get into. Right. So we want to make it easy for people. And I would imagine that you attract much healthier friends this way than 100%. if you're just meeting friends in the bar. Yeah. People that are far less selfish, you know, so if they're volunteering automatically, they're not only thinking of themselves. So as like we talked about in the last episode, as you start to figure out your purpose and you need things, you need resources. Now you got a group of people around you that you can ask for things and you can help each other because you're going to be good at certain things. You're going to have certain, uh, you know, resources that I don't have and I'll have resources that you don't have. And honestly, that's kind of how a body works, right? Is everybody's kind of pitching in and that's real community when everybody's kind of helping each other and a rising tide raises all ships, but yeah. th that's what it's done for me. But I, until I put sex on the altar, I did not need community. Mm -hmm. I always just hop from girl to girl and she was your community. Yeah. It was just always on to the next one. I was putting duct tape, duct tape over the the wound, you know, like there was pain problem. Like I was using sex like a drug mm -hmm. and I was just, you know, 
I didn't have to cultivate. Cultivating community is not easy. I mean, it, it requires something of you. Living in community is not easy because we're all so different. You know, the story of the porcupines where, you know, they get close together and they prick each other, right? But then they move further apart and they froze to death. So like we have to stay, we're going to, we're going to step on each other's toes. I'm going to offend you accidentally, you know, and you're, you're going to offend, you know, offend me and I'm going to have to get over it. But it's, you know what, as, as even though it hurts a little bit, it's still better. It's still yeah. better than freezing to death. And I can imagine that people probably feel as if there's a place for them at the table at City Fam where they may not feel comfortable darkening the doors of a church building. Exactly. Yeah. We, so, we say they're the island of misfit toys. Yeah. I, I, I love just the approachability and how welcoming it seems to be. I have done my homework. It's like, why doesn't every city in this country have a City Fam organization? So that's why I was like, I got to have Rob on my show. That's the dream. All right. So let's dive in. I know that there are lots of single people out there. I, I'm, I myself was single just four years ago. And th that can be a really scary time when you're a grown adult and you're like, how do I even do this? I don't want to, I don't want to go into bars. I don't necessarily want to just throw myself out there online without any kind of parameters as to what I may be fishing for. Like, how have you navigated your world? Yeah, the first step is you got to know why you're doing it because if you don't, you won't make it because it is that difficult. So for me, I was meeting with a life coach and she helped me get a vision statement for my life. And I, it was so good and so exciting to me that I told her, I said, I'll do anything if I even have a chance of getting there. And she said, well, you can do it. You just got to work for it. And I, I read it to myself every morning. She said, she said, read it twice a day. And I probably did for some time, but now I just listen to it in the mornings. I read it into my phone. I just listen to it on my drive to work, but it's just, it's my promise land. You know, it's my personal promise land. I, she asked me the right questions. I answered them. And if you can figure out what that is for you, you know, we call it living intentionally beginning with the end in mind you're willing to go through the wilderness to get to the, the promised land. First, first though, you got to know that there's a promised land. What does it look like? You know, and, and for remind, you. what does yes. it look like for you? And I love how a good life coach can totally help you crystallize that in your mind. hundred percent. I, she changed my life. Yeah. My life coach changed my life. I would have never been able to find it on my own. I don't think, I, I don't see how she, she, you know, she, even now she's given me these exercises that I still do every year because it helps me drill down on, okay, what are you going to focus on? What do you really want in the next 12 months, Rob? You know, where are you going to spend your time? Because without a vision, you'll just drift around and you, you won't go anywhere. Lack of vision that causes people to perish and yep. societies to perish. So yeah, continue. Yeah. So the first off is knowing your why. The second step is really good boundaries. Um, you got to have strong boundaries because if not, we like to deceive ourselves and try to pretend we can get away with more than we really can. So, and what will happen is you'll, you might think you can Netflix and chill or, or just maybe you think you can have somebody over to watch a movie with. <laughs> and that's what happened to me. That's one of my mistakes in the last nine years was I've been, I've been abstinent for three or four years and I never even kissed the girl I was with. And but there were, we were flirting a little bit and I thought it was dangerous. And anyway, I've heard it said that spooning leads to forking. Yes, 100%. <laughs> so, so you got to have good boundaries, I think. But even more important than the boundaries, and I probably jumped over this, was community. Because that is really the key. Because you have to have things to do and people to do them with. Because if you're just going to isolate, you ain't making it. I did it. I did it for six years. And I, 
I realized the second time around, I'm like, I ain't going to make it another six years. Um, so after one year, I was like, I got to figure something else out. And I was able to cultivate this group. So yeah, I would we say- We are social creatures to the yes. core. Most of us. something to look forward to on the weekends. If you're working hard all week, you, you need something on Friday to look forward to. Otherwise, if you're sitting around the house, how many weekends are you going to sit there by yourself before you get on a dating app? Or you go out to the bar or whatever. Or before you just work all the time and become a 24-7 workaholic. And all work and no play makes Jack and Jill both very dull people. Uh, yes, I agree 100%. I mean, I, I, I treat community like, like it's the gym. Like you can't just wait till you feel like hanging out with people. Because at that point, when you get really lonely and depressed, sometimes the depression causes you to go inward. And then you don't want to be around people. And it just compounds. So like for me, I know about twice a week, I need to get around my friends, the friends that fill my cup. And I just need to cut loose a little bit and laugh. And then it makes me not feel so sorry for myself that I'm still single. And then I can work hard and, and stay focused on the task at hand. So I'd say community and the easy, just really practical way to cultivate community is what I tell people is find a faith community. Don't, don't go date a different church every Sunday if you have to until you find one that you absolutely love. When you find one that you love, then ask them about their small groups and then date a different small group every week until you find one you love. Don't go to the first one. There might be some really weird people at the first ones. Right. You know, but find, Don't when judge you find them all one, by that first group. Yeah, when you find one that you're like, these are my people, then you start going to that small group and then get on leadership at the church. And just even if you're just like greeter or whatever, that was what I did. And it, it, I, didn't want to be, I didn't want to be the guy at the front door that smelled like alcohol. You know, so I, I, I stopped getting, I stopped drinking on Saturday nights because I was working. So it, it made the, the changes happen faster. I also met some good people in church. Some of them were bored and lonely like I was, and they became my first city fan members. So, you know, I, I like art churches personally. I always send people to the art ARC uh, church link because I think that they're really cool churches that are. What does ARC called? stand for? Association of Related Churches. They're, they're kind of like a, congreg a congregation, I guess, but they're not really they're not really, I think they're all kind of like non-denomination, but okay. they have like, you know, modern music, coffee, everybody's in jeans or whatever. It's just, for me, it works modern. well. Yeah. But yeah, I think community and then, um, you know, accountability is, is key where you got to have somebody in your life that you're really honest with and it, that if you screw up that you'll tell, you mm -hmm. know, because it will keep you out of trouble. And, you know, the word says, confess your sins one to another that you know, pray for each other so you might be healed. So you have to tell the truth. Right. If you're lying, you're not going to get past whatever that sexual sin is. Mm -hmm. If you have that problem. Um, so for me, it was, it was a life coach. It was my pastor's wife and yeah. I'm very honest with her. Yeah. Um, no, as far as, as far as the boundaries go though, for me, like after I made that mistake, I think it's been six years ago now, something like that, five or six years ago, I made the decision that I wouldn't spend time alone with women because it, I, for me, it was, it's just too dangerous. It and I often, a drug of choice too yeah. much of your life. Well, I almost lost a friend. I was on leadership at my church. I had been very outspoken about my, my stance on the subject. And then here I, I tripped and I was like, Oh, and I had to tell on myself on social media. So it was, it was a lot of pain. So for me, I said, I'm not spending time alone with women anymore. I didn't even really drive in a car with them. Uh, I don't think. And for, for years I have, I have in the last couple of years, I've kind of loosened them up a little bit, but 
I, so I, you've been very vigilant about what you perceive you needed to continue living the life that you envisioned was your promised land, keeping yes. that why directly in front of you. Yeah. And it was, this, I tell people like for me, the waiting was a selfish decision. So when I, even when I did the boundaries, it was like, I was doing it because I wanted to get to that, that promised land, that vision, it, you know, like I did bodybuilding in my early twenties and you know, you have to put your, your, your body through some hellacious things to get yourself in that kind of shape where you you're getting really up, want that. You got to really want it. You got to get up super early doing cardio, eating just like broccoli and chicken and brown, right? Just gagging the food down. You have to avoid going to places where you might, you know, like parties where there's not going to be food that you can eat and you got to go to bed at a certain time. Like your whole life is really revolves around that show. And when you make the decision to wait and, or not even just wait, when you make the decision to go to your promised land, your whole life is going to probably revolve around that decision. And, you know, I, I love did it. how you just shifted the focus from the negative of, ah, you got to wait, you can't right. have sex to focusing on the positive, your yeah. promised land, your higher calling, your sense of fulfillment and purpose. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I, you know, I often tell people, cause I, I think the, the, the word marriage is it gets bastardized where people have seen a country full of people do it wrong. Not, not everybody, probably a lot of your listeners, maybe even seen people do it right, but they have, they have waited. But a lot of people growing up now have seen people not wait and then they marry the wrong person and then the marriage is just a disaster. And then people go, Oh God, I don't want any part of that. I never want to get married. That's where we're kind of at right now. And I, I tell people, I said, look, don't, it's semantics. If, if I ask everybody out there and said, look, how would you like to find your best friend that you're physically attracted to long-term, not just short-term, that could help you reach your full potential in life. Would you like that? Yeah. And everybody goes, hell yeah. Yeah. Don't have sex before marriage. That's all you gotta do. Because <laughs> it, it, it's a process of elimination takes over and you go through the duds like that. You, you can go through them. You know, right. now you might be single longer. You're, you will be probably. Mm -hmm. you're, you're not going to be as quick to jump in a relationship, but you, you will find the right one faster if you do it that way. Right. Well, you're not wasting time not wasting on someone time. that doesn't line up with your life's vision. Yes, 100%. Okay. So you had talked about in your book, making a list of what yeah. you want in a mate. Yeah. So I think that I, I'm not huge on lists, but I did include that in the dating while waiting guide, because I think that there should be some non-negotiables, you know, like for me, it was obviously uh, loves Jesus and physical attraction are very high on the list. I want a girl that's hot, loves Jesus. I often say, um, but then, you know, I, I, there were other things as I started to explore, like, I don't want a girl that's naive. Like, I, I don't like, you know, I think I probably didn't care much when I was, um, whoring around cause I wasn't really looking for a wife, but right. now I'm like, I want a girl that's smart. I want a girl that's going to be hands-on in all areas of my life. You Your know, intellectual because, equal. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think a list is good because it'll help you spot the, the, the fakes as they come along, the jokers or the, the uh, decoys, you know, right. as, as you know, the enemy will probably send you some, some decoys uh, on, on the, on the path to finding your right one. Mm -hmm. So I think a, a list is very important uh, or somewhat important, but I also, I will say, don't get too hung up on the list. Meaning like your head can't tell your heart how to feel, you know, and you could have, you could have somebody that hits every point on that list. And if your heart isn't feeling it, do not force it. Because I've tried to do that. It kept me in relationships for too long where I was like, well, she's, 
I mean, she's hot. She, she's trustworthy. She's good with kids. Like, come on, Rob. She's got to be the one. You're not going to find something better. No. If it's there, it's there. If it's not, it's not. Don't force it. There is something very legitimate about chemistry. Yes. Do you feel a gravitational pull toward this person? Or do you feel almost like a repulsion at times? That's a big red flag. If you feel that a little in dating, you're going to feel it a lot in marriage. Yeah. Where they irritate you. Sometimes they're just talking in there. That's what Stefan Labossier, who I've done some events with, he's like, can you go on like a long car drive with this person? You know, that's such good <laughs> advice, you know, without just wanting to kill them. Right. <laughs> that's a pretty good litmus test. Okay. So don't, don't be married to the list, but don't just wander aimlessly without a list. Is that what I hear yeah. you saying? I th yeah. Have some non-negotiables, you know. Trust, and trust your heart that this person creates the feelings in you that will be glue and cement that holds your relationship together. Not that those feelings won't come and go at times. Like we, we have to leave room for the fact that we don't stay on a mountaintop, right? Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. And then you'd also talked about communicating up front what you're looking for and what your boundaries are. What kind of looks have you gotten when you told adult women in their thirties and forties, maybe fifties for all I know, that you are choosing to remain sexually abstinent until marriage because of what you have learned from your past experiences. It, you know, the funny thing is, is they, they are women like it. It's they, when I would you, think so. Women are, women love, a, nothing is sexier to a woman than a man that's learned how to be disciplined. I say that, you know, I like love that. I, I used to be a, can I cuss or no? Yes. I used to be a fuck boy. Right. And <laughs> I, I got women like that, but it's not like it is now where you have a, a selection at a, a higher level, you know, a higher class of woman, because women, when they see a, a godly man or a kingdom man, or just a man that's learned, learned discipline, they're attracted to it because maybe it's because they want, uh, you know, a father of their kids or a, a good, good husband or whatever it is, but it's just a different world. And, um, so I don't know that it's, for me, it's like, it's, it's probably not been a bad thing. Um, but for women, I get a lot of women ask me like, well, when do I tell? Cause they're, for a woman, it's almost like a, a fear thing where they're like, Oh, if I tell him, he might not, he might not stick around. And I get that because if he's not in love with you, he won't stick around. You know, he, if I tell him what, what did I miss? Like I'm waiting. Okay. When I say, tell them up front. Uh, that's what women, that's what women ask me. They're like, when should I tell someone that I'm waiting? Okay. And like for me, <clears throat> I would tell them pretty early on because I wouldn't want to waste time. Right. Uh, you know, like. But I would imagine that it's a very different scenario when a man tells a woman that he is waiting. She's like, oh, that's amazing. He has integrity. Like he has character and it makes him all the more appealing. When a woman tells a man, yeah, I'm not going to have sex until marriage. How do men interpret that? Uh, you know what they think? Honestly, manipulation. They don't get it. I didn't understand it. When a woman told me she was waiting, I thought that she was being manipulative. Like, oh, you she's, she's to, playing hard to get. Yeah, she's trying to get me in a relationship or whatever. Like, she just and I, so I, it's you know, dangling the carrot in front of the mule. Right. So I was like, now, yeah, and I don't know. This is what I tell women. I'm like, look. So I get that where the this fear will come in because automatically that is the argument that the enemy is always going to use. He's going to use a fear tactic to try to get you to not be obedient to God. So, but I, the way I position it is this, is if a girl would have told me that she was waiting when I was a scumbag, 
I would have been like, peace, I'm out. I would I would not have waited, right? Right. But if a girl tells me she's waiting now, I'm intrigued. I'm like, wow, there's she's a surprise. Right. Because there's, I'm like, there's a unicorn and here I've been waiting. So guess what? I, I don't guess what a girl, t- if a girl tells me she's not waiting now, you know what I do? Peace. I'm out because wow. I've been waiting. I've the been working on myself. Has been that extreme in you. Yeah. So like, I want to, it would be the equivalent of somebody that got into really good shape. He doesn't want to date a fat person. You yeah. know, I'm sorry. It sounds You've rude. so hard. Oh, I've worked so hard on myself that I want to wait. I want to meet somebody that's been working on themselves too, because I deserve it. Yeah. I don't want to, I, I say, look, I don't want to date a hoe. I'll date a reformed hoe because I'm a reformed hoe, but I don't want to date a girl that's been hoeing last week right? You know, like, because I've been working on myself. So like, you're going to attract what you are, not what you want. So you got to, if you're out there getting it in, you got to make the decision to turn it around at some point, you know, cause you're not going to find what you're looking for. You know, you're not going to find a dime, diamond digging through the dumpster. You know, it's just not going to happen. I like that. Okay, so that leads me to my next question, Rob. I wanted the question to be, how do you prove to the person that you're dating that you don't hoe around anymore and that you truly have changed? But then I realized that's skipping a question. I'm going to back up and ask the question that I should be asking first. How do you prove to yourself that the change really is real? Because I have no doubt that many adults get to that place where it's like, yep, not going to do that anymore. And then two weeks, two months later, like they certainly don't make it two years. So how do you prove to yourself that you've truly transformed? Mm. And then how do you communicate that to your mate to where you can expect to build a level of trust in that relationship? Yeah. I mean, uh, progress, not perfection. You know, sanctification is a process. I often say like, you know, when I first recommitted myself, I would be able to go about a week, maybe two without looking at porn. And then it would come on the, the compulsion for it would come on so strong. I'd look at it four times in a day, five times in a day. And then I'd feel so guilty about myself. Uh, And, but eventually, yeah, eventually I was able to build upon it. And now it's like almost never happens, you know, not to say that I don't get tempted or, you know, slip up. I, I slipped up actually just recently uh, and looked at, looked at pornography, which I made a commitment to never do that again. I think I went like three months, but you know, I think, I think you should be seeing progress if it's genuine change and you know, only God knows the heart though, you know, like, so I, but I, if you mess up the beauty of, of this whole thing, you know, the gospel is that, we get unlimited chances. His mercies know? are new every morning. As long as you yeah. don't, you don't fail, you know, but so you just get up and just do it again. I think that if a person presses the pause button on their life long enough and really looks at their motives, their thoughts, their desires, their compulsions, all of that, they will know whether they are white knuckling, which basically just means they're going through the motions of abstaining versus they truly have a heart that they just don't want to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. And I think that that's the voice of experience and wisdom. So for that reason, I have often said, well, my promiscuous years, which were from 15 to 20 years old, I regretted them for a while, but I don't know that I regret them that much anymore because of the richness and the wisdom. Because when I went through my divorce and was single there for a couple of years, I did not become a hoe like I was in my teenage years. I I didn't get into casual sex at all in any way, shape or form because 
I had already traveled that road. Mm -hmm. I knew that that was not who I was and it wasn't who I ever wanted to be again. So definitely think that people, if they really take the time to look inside themselves, they will know if they're just going through the motions, hoping that all the cosmic tumblers will click into place because they're being good. Or if they truly just perceive themselves very differently than they ever have before. Yeah. I think uh, for me, the, definitely the first six years I was white knuckling and I was just, I was in it for the wrong reasons. I just believed that, you know, if I didn't sin long enough, God would give me a wife. But to what, to the point that you mentioned earlier, it's a, the, the very first words of my book says the road of excess leads to the palace of wisdom. So like there is definitely a certain wisdom that comes from that experience where even when I backslid, uh, you know, it started in 2006 after six years of, of waiting, I started, you know, having sex inadvertently again. And I drifted away from God as I became more sexually active. And I just, I'd never been distant from God before I became a Christian and I, I stopped on a dime. I was pretty self-righteous, but when I, when I drifted away from God, I hated the way it, I felt about myself. And it was that feeling that allows me now to not go down that path again. Cause I'm s surrounded by pretty women a lot now. And I sometimes want to have sex, you know, like I had a Halloween party the other night and I was mad that I had to go home alone, like, you know, cause I've been waiting for a while and I'm like, damn it, God, it's been a long time. Like I was frustrated. That was actually the night I looked at pornography cause I was mad mm. and you know, but I know better because of the sin, you know, nine years ago. And I was like, it's almost like Adam and Eve. Imagine if God would have let them back in the garden of Eden. Ooh. And Eve was like, okay, the tree's still there. I'm telling you a second time, don't touch it. So now it's like, okay, I got you. I've, you know, like I learned the hard way, like you learned. And now you're like, okay, God, you know, I, I, sometimes I still want to take the apple, but I'm not going to touch it. <laughs> You know, and, and that's the way it really is. But I had to learn the hard way. It sounds like, you know, sometimes that's the way it is yeah. for you too, right? Yeah, absolutely. You talked about feeling distance from God. A lot of people, it seems like sexuality is one of the main avenues that we feel this feeling that somehow God is distant because we're not living the way that we had intended to sexually. But I want to ask you this question. The answer is obvious, but just, you know, for rhetorical sake, when we feel that distance from God, who moved? Right. Yeah, we moved. Exactly. God does not move. He does not move. We move. Oh. We can, you know, just because we move away doesn't mean that we can't move back. We're ashamed. Yeah. I was thinking about like Adam when he hid, you know, he sinned and he hid. God was yep. right there. Who told you you were naked? Right. Yeah. Just the shame of, of his own humanity. Yeah, but God welcomes us back. And so what do you say to the person that you're dating, for those who are listening, going, how could I really convince someone that even though I may have poured around before, that's not who I am anymore? Give me an example of a conversation that you would have with a potential candidate. You're having dinner with them. You yeah. just explained uh, well, you, you tell me, you, you give me the elevator speech. Well, shameless plug. Uh, I've had a lot of women send men my 10 reasons video. It's seven minutes long. And I really do a pretty good job of, you know, concisely explaining the practicality of it in 10 reasons. This is why you shouldn't have sex before marriage. So I would say, Hey, look, if you're struggling with it, just send them that. 
But you could just be like, hey, look, I like you. You know, if it's someone that you like, you could say, hey, I like you. I think you like me too, you know? And this is how I want to see if we're, we're really, you know, built to last. If there's, if there's a future for us is I want to, I want to, you know, wait until our wedding night. You know, I, I often tell people like, I know a lot of people won't, won't go that distance of the marriage, like all the way to their wedding night. But even if they wait longer, all the studies show that the longer you wait, the better sex you have, the better the relationship quality is. There's just so many benefits to it. Like, it's super practical where we've all been in the position where you meet somebody of the, you know, the opposite sex. And at first you're like, Ooh, they're hot. Right. You're, you're cause we're all wired, like physically eked up. Mm-hmm. But then imagine like two or three weeks go by a month goes by. And then you start looking at that person differently. Have you ever noticed that where you're like, Oh yeah, they're good looking, but mm, not for me. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. that gives you the first chance. impressions can be misleading. Right. That gives you the chance to break through the surface to see who lives inside that tent. Is mm. there anything deeper than just this, this physical? Because if you don't do that, get through that initial period, you very well could get some, into something complicated and end up with the wrong person. So waiting is super selfish. You know, like it's for you to find that right person. And, and the goal, for, I believe, is to have more sex. You know, like ha- have better more sex, sex more, longer, more sex, in better the sex in the long run. This is what always happened to me. And this was one of the 10 reasons. And it's, this is for the guys because guys, you can't entice the weight the same way you can women. Women want a deep, you know, they want to feel like they're the only woman in the world. Men aren't like that. Men want to know, they want to reach their purpose and they want sex. But here's the thing. A lot of men, I, th- I would say even uh, hopefully most of your listeners have heard of the, the term uh, or the, the saying that goes, show me the hottest girl in the world and I'll show you a guy that's tired of sleeping with her. Have you ever heard of that? <laughs> no, but I can see how that would be. Well, they, they say, I'll show you a guy that's tired of fucking her. That's what, that's the, that's the, the term, the saying. Yeah. And that's because if you lead with physical attraction, that is kind of the trick that God played on us because now you didn't weigh to find out if the connection was deep. You, mm-hmm. you got a hot girl and now you're not even wanting to sleep with her. That's what always happened to me. I literally was dating models and I just wanted to go to sleep. Yeah. I wanted to sleep with other girls, but I couldn't because I was in a relationship with this girl and I didn't want to have sex with her. And I was, that's the sex trap where now you're, you're not even having sex. And if you, this is another study I referenced in the book, but of the people that stay married after year four, only half of them have regular sex. So first off, 50% of them don't stay together. Mm-hmm. The other 50%, half of those people don't have regular sex after year four because they're marrying the wrong people because they're not using the, the criteria. They're not weighing it carefully on the front end. And then they yeah. end up marrying the wrong person and the sex, the sex drive goes away. And it's like, it, it's a bad problem. That reminds me of that research study that they did with little kids, I think kindergartners, and they said, exactly, you can either have like one marshmallow now or 10 marshmallows an hour from now. And so oftentimes they just couldn't wait. And then they realized what they could have had if they had just been patient. So I I love it. Basically, what I heard you say, in response to the, to the, in response to the question, how do you prove to that potential mate that you've truly transformed? I heard you say that, actions speak louder than words and we need to show them instead of just tell them. Cause I would think that if you tell someone that and then within 30 days or within the first three months or whatever, you're, you're already trying to have sex with them. You just made yourself look like the biggest hypocrite on the planet. All the red flags go up eh, eh, warning. 
whereas maybe that's his game or maybe that's her game. Maybe they're trying to make you think that, oh, you're the hottest person on the planet. So hot, in fact, that I would throw out all my scruples just to go ahead and have sex with you. But if they're willing to throw out all their scruples that they say that they had, they're not worth keeping. Mm -hmm. No one should put you on a pedestal so high that they would throw out all of their morals and principles and scruples for you because that puts you in the position of God in their life. And that is never a good arrangement. No, I love that. That was actually one of my reasons, the 10 reasons where talk is cheap because, you know, men are good salesmen. And the worst part about it is we'll say things and we'll believe them as we're saying them. We, we say, look, I love you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. You're the one. But look, you introduce that marriage into the conversation, it changes it. Because now it's like, oh, now I'm going to find out, am I telling myself? Am I really speaking the truth? I might not even know. You know, I, I would date girls and I would think I really like this girl. And as soon as I busted a nut, excuse my language, <laughs> the feeling would go away. And I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, I must be one of those people that can't fall in love. Or maybe human beings aren't supposed to be monogamous. I had all these crazy thoughts. No. It was because I wasn't, I wasn't doing it in the right order. I wasn't following the instructions, Yeah, you know, so that's the talk is cheap, you know? Yeah. And I would think that that hopefully inspires a lot of women out there. Don't just give in to your passions and your whims, because if he does just have sex with you and then loses interest in you, because you said earlier, that's kind of how men are wired, you're going to be devastated. I mean, I have coached so many women in the past 27 years that yes, they paid sex as the price that they thought that they had to pay to get the man's commitment. They used their body to barter for love. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. If you if you help him to fall in love with you first because of your character and your purpose in life and your personality and all those wonderful things and let the sex be the icing on the cake. I have said it many times, it will be a much sweeter Cake. So Rob, you mentioned the sex trap multiple times. Tell them again about the book that they need to read. Uh, you mentioned the YouTube video and what, what words do they put in their search engine to find that YouTube video? Yeah, sure. So my name is Rob uh, B. Kowalski. You could probably just search Rob Kowalski. It's 10 reasons not to have sex before marriage. It's on YouTube. You can go to my website, robbkowalski.com. Um, but I'm giving away the book for free right now. It, you just have to pay for shipping and handling. It's at whywaitingworks.net and it's got over 95 star reviews on Amazon. And it, it comes with a, a study guide actually. And the study guide is, is important to me because I, after I wrote the book, I realized it's not enough to convince people that this is the right way to go. You have to set them up for success. So what the, the small group curriculum will do is it will help you form a tribe of people now that can support you. And, and actually there's a social event as part of the curriculum. You do a social event on week five, you do a service event on week seven. So you kind of really start to ap- operate like a city fam. By the end of the eight weeks, you have a tribe now. And hopefully you guys understand the practicality of waiting, whether you're, you're doing it perfectly or not, doesn't matter but you, you have some support and you have things to look forward to. And, and that, you know, so that comes with the, uh, with the book, but you can always check out city fam too. And there, there are people across the, the country that are reaching out to us and we're trying our best to connect them and set them up so that they can start, you know, doing life together. Yeah. Well, I love to hear how you are serving people. I love to hear how you are serving God. I'm sure there are lots of women who have so appreciated your insights. And I hope that lots of men have learned many valuable lessons 
as a result of this conversation as well. So I want to thank everyone for listening to another episode of Sexual Confidence on Tap with Shannon Etheridge and Friends. If you want to chime into the conversation or if you have suggestions for other topics that you would like to hear us discuss, I hope that you will send us an email at ontap at shannonetheridge.com or chime in verbally by calling 321-30-ON-TAP. We love you for listening and we thank you for tapping on us.